Good morning, and welcome to Overeaters Anonymous, a Vision for You Big Book Study. My name is Maura Z, and I am a recovered compulsive overeater. Today is Wednesday, August 8th, and we are reading from the big book, and we are on page 92. We're reading the second paragraph. It starts with continue to speak of alcoholism, and we're going to be reading through the end of that paragraph, which ends on 93, live by spiritual principles. Today's readers are Jackie M, 12 Steps, Nadia B, 12 Traditions, and the readers of the text, Melissa C, Lisa B, Susan H. Our newcomer greeter is Devorah S, and the second hour host is Craig F. And the reference numbers for yesterday, Tuesday, 7 August, 7 a.m., 11,758, 11758. And the 10 a.m., 11,759-11759. Always preamble. Overeaters Anonymous is a fellowship of individuals who, through shared experience, strength, and hope, are recovering from compulsive overeating. We welcome everyone who wants to stop eating compulsively. There are no dues or fees for members. We are self-supporting through our own contributions, neither soliciting nor accepting outside donations. OA is not affiliated with any public or private organization, political movement, ideology, or religious doctrine. We take no position on outside issues. Our primary purpose is to abstain from compulsive eating and compulsive food behaviors and to carry the message of recovery through the 12 steps of OA to those who still suffer. Our sole purpose, OA's fifth tradition states, each group has but one primary purpose to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. At A Vision for You Big Book Study, our message is that people who suffer from compulsive overeating can recover through abstinence in the practice of the 12 steps and 12 traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. And Jackie M., would you please read OA's 12 steps? Good morning, this is Jackie M. from New York, Recovered Compulsive Overeater. The 12 Steps of Overeaters Anonymous. We admitted we were powerless over food, that our lives had become unmanageable. Two, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Three, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. Four, made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Five, admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. Six, we're entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. Seven, humbly asked him to remove our shortcomings. Eight, made a list of all persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. Nine, made direct amends to such people wherever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. 10, continued to take personal inventory and when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. 11, sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood him, praying only for knowledge of his will for us and the power to carry that out. 12, Having had a spiritual awakening as the result of these steps, 
We tried to carry this message to compulsive overeaters and to practice these principles in all our affairs. Thank you for letting me do service, and I pass. Thank you, Jackie M. And Nadia B., would you please read the 12 Traditions of Overeaters Anonymous? Good morning, family. Nadia B., grateful, recovered, compulsive overeater in Connecticut. The 12 Traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. One, our common welfare should come first. Personal recovery depends upon way unity. Two, for our group purpose, there is but one ultimate authority, a loving God as he may express himself in our group conscience. Our leaders are but trusted servants. They do not govern. Three, the only requirement for OA membership is a desire to stop eating compulsively. Four, each group should be autonomous except in matters affecting others, other groups or OA as a whole. Five, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. Six, an OA group either never endorse, finance, or lend the OA name to any related facility or outside enterprise, leave problems of money, property, and prestige divert us from our primary purpose. Seven, every OA group ought to be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions. Eight, Overeaters Anonymous should remain forever non-professional, but our service centers may employ special workers. Nine, OA as such have never be organized, but we may create service boards or committees directly responsible to those they serve. 10, Overeaters Anonymous has no opinion on outside issues, hence the OA name ought to never be drawn into public controversy. 11, our public relations policy is based on attraction rather than promotion. We will we need always maintain personal anonymity at the level of press, radio, film, television, and other public media of communication. Twelve, anonymity is the spiritual foundation of all this tradition, ever reminding us to place principles before personalities. Thank you, Nadia B. How our meeting works. Our meeting focuses on the directions for recovery described in the Big Book of Alcoholics Anonymous. We read a paragraph or two from the literature, then stop and share on what was read. Anyone can share, but we ask that you keep your sharing to the topic and literature we are discussing, and that you keep your share to approximately three minutes. Singleness of purpose reminds us to identify as compulsive overeaters only. Our abstinence requirement for moderators is one year, and for readers is six months. There is no abstinence requirement for sharing on topic. This meeting does request that your sharing be directly linked to what was read. We are sharing what the directions in the big book mean to us. To share, press star one to unmute. And once you are done sharing, let us know by saying pass, then press star one to mute your phone. In order to have a quiet meeting, everyone's phone except the speakers should be muted. Today we resume our study in the big book. We are on page 92 reading the second and last paragraph on that page, which starts, continue to speak of alcoholism as an illness, ending on the top of page 93 with that he lived by spiritual principles. And I will now ask Melissa C. to get us started. 
Hi. Good morning, Maura. Thank you. It's Melissa C. Recovered, compulsive overeater in New York. Continue to speak of alcoholism as an illness, a fatal malady. Talk about the conditions of body and mind which accompany it. Keep his attention focused mainly on your personal experience. Explain many that many are doomed who never realize their predicament. Doctors are rightly loath to tell alcoholic patients the whole story unless it will serve some good purpose. But you may talk to him about the hopelessness of alcoholism because you offer a solution. You will soon have your friend admitting he has many, if not all, of the traits of the alcoholic. If his own doctor is willing to tell him that he is alcoholic, so much the better. Even though your protege may not have entirely admitted his condition, he has become very curious to know how you got well. Let him ask you that question if he will. Tell him exactly what happened to you. Stress the spiritual feature freely. If the man be agnostic or atheist, make it emphatic that he does not have to agree with your conception of God. He can choose any conception he likes, provided it makes sense to him. The main thing is that he be willing to believe in a power greater than himself and that he live by spiritual principles. Okay, so I'm just going to set my timer. Um, yeah, so yeah, this... I keep telling the person that I'm working with or going to be working with um, or who are, who's listening to me that what I have is deadly. Like, I I'm, I say this often, what I have is fatal, what I have is fatal. Um, and I stress that this is what I have. Like, I don't diagnose someone else. I just keep saying what I have, what I have, and I describe it. You know, I talk about my sick body. Like, that yes, the physical um, consequences of having this disease, but also, you know, the the allergy that I can't stop once I put my allergic substance in my mouth. That um, that and that even though I know without a doubt that certain foods create that craving, that experience, my mind is so sick that it tricks me into picking it up again and again. You know, and so I just focus on my personal experience. Um, uh, you know, so um, I qualify it's to be helpful. You know, and so I treat these early conversations like like a qualification. You know, focusing on the hopeless nature, failure after failure. Um, you know, painful story after painful story, and. Um, yeah, and I often show my pictures here because they're real good, you know, when the person is face-to-face. Um, they're a really good physical demonstration of what this disease looks like, you know. Um, my expression on those pictures is, is horrible. I look tormented, um, you know, and I think, I, I think I'm pretty good at um, showing the, the hopeless nature of this because, like, I'm going to be 50, and I've been recovered only four and a half years. So I've got like what almost forty six years worth of alcoholic torture um as really as like a wealth of material and um you know, and then when I'm asked um you know how is it that you're no longer this way, then I can talk about o a then I can talk about the spiritual transformation that I occurred and but I'm really like I'm a little cautious with the word spiritual because 
in my experience, it freaked me out, and and I know that it like it scares other people, and um, and they think right away you're looking to convert them, and so. I stress, like, it's not religious, um, and that the spiritual program is a program of action. It's, um, do you believe that these steps, that there's something outside of yourself that you might know nothing about or limited information about that can help you? That sometimes is, is enough, you know. Um, I'm, really, I'm grateful. I'm just going to Gentle reminder. This. Thank you. That I'm really grateful that we're studying this chapter because, I need to know these directions. It helps me with other people. Thank you. With that, I'll pass. Thanks, Melissa C. Okay. So if you'd like to share on what we just read, um, page 92, second paragraph, please press star 1. Give me your first name and last initial one time, and I'll repeat back who I hear. Who would like to share? Lisa B. Larry K. Cheryl A. Larry K. Is that a Cheryl Sandy A? Yes. Cheryl A. Sandy S. Kim G. Kim G. Okay, we'll go with that. I've got Lisa B. Followed by Larry K. Cheryl A. Sandy S. And Kim G. Lisa, please go ahead. Lisa B, star one. I'm here. Thank you. <laughs> I remuted myself. My name is Lisa B. I'm a grateful, recovered, compulsive overeater in Greenville, South Carolina. And thank you so much for your service. This is a really exciting paragraph for me. Because um, I love that line, explain that many are doomed who never realize their predicament. And that's, that's, I just love that line. Um, so what happened for me when I was sharing with my person that was eventually to become my big book guide, what really drew me in is when she explained to me that my mind will always take me back, that unless I get truly recovered, my mind will always take me back to the food. And I never heard that before. I had an understanding that, yes, there are many food substances and behaviors that I can engage in that will never be good for me. But that's as far as I really knew. And I even went to a treatment center many years ago that explained to me a little bit about the allergy of the body and the disease concept. But it's really getting the understanding that this disease is in my mind. I had also heard over the years that it's a spiritual malady, so I knew that, yes, I need to have some sort of a spiritual awakening. But So I had like all these pieces just kind of laying out there, but they never all came together for me. But for some reason, this line um, that 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 I am doomed and I don't really know how doomed I truly am and that I could actually live to be 100 years old and never get recovered and that it won't necessarily um, go any worse than this. And I think that was, and I know that it is chronic, it's progressive and it's fatal and yes, it can always take a turn and get so much worse. But it was just this horrible, yucky place of being in yuck and then just staying in yuck and living in yuck for decades and decades and decades. And um, it was just uh, having someone explain to me that my mind, unless I truly get recovered, that I have an alcoholic mind that will always take me back to the food. 
um, I have no hope. And for some reason, that just really rang a bell for me. And that's why I love that line. There are so many of us walking around that don't know how bad we really are. And that's it. So not how bad of a person we really are, but how sick we really are. And that we could live like this forever, you know. So with that, I pass. Thank you. Thank you, Lisa B. Larry Kay. Good morning. Hey, Maura. Hey, Maura. Thanks for your service. So, yeah, um, tell, it says, tell him exactly what happened to you. Stress the spiritual future freely. Well, what happened? Let me see. Well, well, at some point for me, you know, I was parked out in front of the donut shop again, and I had to compare my, my painful present where, where, where the bakery box was, you know, was only a few steps away. I always knew where that was, and I always would get to it. And I had to compare it with a possible future where, where you told me, and I learned from some of you, that I could be lifted from this quicksand. And it was through that bitter desperation of being screwed that I was willing to put down my heroin foods when the pain got great enough, and I had to put them down entirely. And then someone along the way cracked open the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous with me, and they brought those instructions to life, and they laid out a divine plan of action. It was always about action. And if I endeavored to follow the instructions precisely, they told me that this higher power of my own understanding would intervene on my behalf. See, I wouldn't, I'd be taking these actions and rowing my boat, but the higher power would intervene on my behalf. And once I completed these steps and allow this change to wash over me from these actions, trusting in a process that I didn't think would work, quite frankly. The desire to eat compulsively was lifted right out of me. That's what happened. It was eradicated. And here's the thing. Um, I didn't need to understand why or how it worked. And when I surrendered to the process, something miraculous happened. And it wasn't dependent upon my IQ, thank goodness for that, or my bank account or my upbringing, or anything else, and it would come about through the work. And I couldn't earn it. I couldn't manipulate it to my advantage. I couldn't compel the universe to bend to an outcome that I wanted. I couldn't force it because the outcome was never reserved for those who needed it most or who wanted it more than anything. Rather, you know, it was available to any wretch like me who was simply willing to do it. And if you're they told me if you're certain that it won't work for a wretch like you, you're right. Because all action is born in thought. And that thought that I wasn't worthy of this miracle would lead me to stagnate and drown in the quicksand again and again. And I'd go into that donut shop. See, our human brains are wired for action and making decisions quickly in response to pain. And when the pain, I tell a newcomer, wrapping up here, Mora. I tell the newcomer that when my pain was great enough, I was ready to deal in the only currency that matters here, and that's action. That's the only currency is action. And with that, I'll pass. Thanks. With time left over, thank you, Larry Kay. Cheryl A., it's your turn, followed by Sandy S. Hi, this is Cheryl A. Can I be heard? Yes, thank you. I am a recovered uh, compulsive overeater in the bo- in Boston. The gift of being able to share the doomed part of this disease is that I get to say that over and over and over and over and over and over and over to myself. Um, 
when I was a little girl between third and sixth grade, I had uh, two boys who used to bully me and call me fat. And I'm an identical twin, and I was never a big kid, actually. But I was always a couple pounds more than my identical twin sister. And these little boys just like to noticed the difference and just picked on me and picked on me and picked on me. And I had a belief inside myself for so long that something was just simply wrong with me. Unfortunately, I never shared it with my parents. I never really told anybody and just kind of dealt with this pain inside that something was wrong with me. And of course, I must be fat. And so it took so long as I began to understand that I had a disease and truly hit bottom late in high school and and in college and I had to hear over and over and over again this was a disease and this was and I was doomed if I didn't stop because I kept thinking that this is about my effort this is about no no there's something wrong with me this is about that um I have to try harder I'm not good I never under I didn't grasp intuitively that this was a disease that could kill me just like other diseases and that there was an answer to it that didn't have to do with the proving to myself or anyone else that I was worthy enough or good enough because I could just kick this thing. I have a dad who is a compulsive overeater and to this day he's still trying hard to gain and lose all that stuff because he can't get, he's doomed he can't try hard enough. He can't turn on a light if it's not plugged into a power source. And that is really what um, the spiritual part of this, that it just says speak freely of that. That is our solution. That was my solution. I'm so grateful today to have the gift of being able to share that this thing will kill me so that I can continue to just pave those neural pathways in my own brain to know when those mental blank spots come, whether it's in the expression of food or the expression of one of the other symptoms of this disease in my life, that it will kill me. And I don't have to think. I just kind of have to do the next right thing. Thanks so much for listening. Thank you, Shirley. Sandy S., it's your turn, followed by Kim G. Hi, this is Sandy S., recovered compulsive overeater from Asheville, North Carolina. For me, I always knew I was doomed. Um, from an early age, the fatal malady for me was actually, um, you know, emotional illness. Like, I knew I had it at an early age. I am super intense. And while that leads me to be highly motivated, it also leads me to be highly anxious and highly rageful. And uh, so I always, I guess I was in a good position because I always knew that there was really something wrong with me and that the food was an incredible solution for me. And, and what really, when I think about the spiritual principles and willing to believe in a higher power greater than myself, the thing that got me abstinent and the thing that keeps me in recovery and the thing that really has me working because my hair is on fire a lot of the time is not the pain. The pain didn't do it. The pain was incredible. What The solution. That's what did it. The solution. And the solution for me is actually love. Not as, not as some kind of abstract thing. You know, I did have a spiritual experience of actually experiencing love. 
It was incredible. And at that moment, I became abstinent because that was better than the food. I finally found something that was better than the food. And I am willing to believe in a power greater than myself because of that experience. I'm not a big God person, but I am willing to take actions. Willing? Um, I am just so motivated to take actions. And the spiritual principles for me that are most important is honesty, really saying where I'm at. Right now, I'm in a pretty terrible place emotionally, but I know I'm going to get out of it. Talking about it is not going to help me. The only thing that will help me is action. And that's why I wanted to get on the phone this morning to share. This was an action for me, to talk at this meeting when deep down inside, I don't think I have anything of value to share. But I'm going to just trust in my higher power and just see what comes out of my mouth and then move on to the next right action. As closely as I can be guided by a higher power. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Sandy S. Kim G., it is your turn. Good morning, Mara. Good morning, everyone. My name is Kim G. from South Jersey. And, uh, you know, as I'm reading this, I'm thinking, you know, I don't know about your experience, but most of the meetings I've gone to for 12-step programs, they all end with the promises. And I remember going to this meeting in Philadelphia that was surrounded by recovery houses. It was all these kids that were, you know, heroin addiction is rampant in, in Philadelphia. And this is how they would end their meeting. Every week they would end the meeting. Continue to speak of alcoholism as an illness, a fatal malady. Tell them about the conditions of body and mind which accompany it. Keep his attention focused mainly on personal experience. Explain that many are doomed to never realize the predicament. And, and Ricky would just close the book on that. And I was like shocked by that, but that's the reality of our disease. You know, I remember teaching this part of the chapter to a sponsee, and she started laughing. She told me she was a pharmaceutical rep, and she's like, Kim, this is like my training classes. You know, if my job is to sell cholesterol medicine, I don't sell the benefits of cholesterol medicine. I sell the consequences of high cholesterol. Because when I really sell how high cholesterol and its consequences, then the sale of the cholesterol medicine is easy. And that's the approach the big book gives. I don't know your experience, but I was, also, I was told when I came into OA to go to six meetings to get comfortable. I was told to get abstinence for 30, 60 days and get comfortable with my abstinence and then work the steps. If I could get comfortable in abstinence, I wouldn't be in Overeaters Anonymous. The big book tells us, tell them the reality of their addiction. Now, that goes against my instinct because I want people to feel better. I want to love you and I want to do that. But the book was telling me I need to tell them what this disease is like because otherwise they will care about the rest of the book. And I think of that, that old analogy. It says here doctors loathe, loathe to tell the alcoholic patients the whole story unless it will serve some good purpose. But you, us, the recovered people, can talk to him about the hopelessness of alcoholism because we offer a solution. So I think about that old analogy of a man in the hole and he's, he's screaming for help. And the doctor walks by and goes, well, let me explain to you why you're in the hole. And then a psychiatrist walks by and goes, let me explain to you how you got into the hole. And then a priest walks or a rabbi or a religious person walks by and says, oh, son, I'll pray for you because you're in the hole. Maybe some family members walk by and go, why the hell are you in the hole? And friends may walk by and go, man, it really sucks to be in that hole. But a member of Overeaters Anonymous 
will see that person in the hole and they'll jump in the hole and they say, I have been there. Take my hand and I will show you the way out. And that's what this paragraph is saying to me today. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Kim J. Okay, if you've joined us a little bit later, we're on page 92 in the big book. We are reading from chap, um, excuse me, paragraph two, which starts, continue to speak of alcoholism, and ends at the top of page 93 with that he lived by spiritual principles. <clears throat> and if you give me your name and your last initial once, and I'll repeat back who'd like to share. Katie Katie G from Boston. Marsha. Marsha. Marsha from Marsha, last initial, and get you later. Harlan G, Katie G, Marsha. Who else? Barbara. Leah M. Leah M. Barbara. Barbara E. Barbara got you. And do all the stuff there. I've got Harlan G, Katie G, Marcia, Leah M, Barbara E, and Duell. Harlan G, please, your turn. Thank you, thank you, Maura. I'm Harlan G, and I'm a recovered compulsive overeater in sweltering Scottsdale, Arizona. All of my life, for the first decades of my life, people told me, sometimes rudely and sometimes with love, to lose weight. They told me that if I don't eat so much, I'll feel better. They were right. When I don't eat so much, I feel anger better. I feel fear better. I feel like killing myself better. I feel jealousy. I feel lots of things much, much better. And as those feelings would burst to the surface inside my soul, there was only one thing that would help me out in those predicaments, and that is more food. The one thing that I did not want to be doing was the only thing that I knew to assuage those fears. I sponsor too many people, but I want to speak of this from the standpoint, not from the sponsor standpoint, but from the sponsored standpoint. Nobody told me that I have a disease. Nobody told me that it was permanent, fatal, and progressive. Nobody told me that there was a way out. In Kim's analogy of the whole, when the person comes by and says, I'll show you how to get out of the hole, no one told me that there was a way out until you guys came around. Nobody told me that there was a spiritual awakening that would temporarily take away the urge to eat these foods that were killing me. Nobody told me that it was the buildup of human emotion that was driving my brain to, 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 the, to the mental twist, and the mental twist would make it absolutely impossible to resist the urge to eat, and the allergy would make it impossible to stop. They never told me any of those things. And the main thing that they didn't tell me is that if I was willing to believe in a power greater than myself and live by spiritual principles, what are the spiritual principles? They are the steps. We don't have to analyze it and, and, and well, the principle of this is that, no, 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 no. Bill Wilson wasn't thinking about that. 
he just didn't want to use the word steps over and over and over again. And when he says spiritual principles, he means the steps. And then if I work these steps, the urge to eat is simply not there. And for 19 and a half years, I have managed to not eat compulsively, and I have done so quite happily. And with that, I will pass. Thank you. Thank you, Harlan G. Katie G, followed by Marsha. Good morning, Maura. Good morning, my fellows. Katie G, recovered compulsive overeater, anorexic, and bulimic. When I first <clears throat> heard that I had a disease, when I first came on to, when I first listened to um, a big book speaker eight years ago, I was like, that is such a cop out, such a cop out, you weak willed people. <laughs> And um, and then somebody said to me, well, wait a second, let's break this down because I'm a wordsmith. Are you at dis-ease with food? And I was like, yeah, I've never been comfortable with, with my food, like ever, ever. Are you at dis-ease with life? Yeah, I've been walking around with a hole inside my chest my entire life. And I've been trying to starve it and binge it and, you know, throw it up and put you in it and put my money in it and put anything in it so that I could get a sense of even comfort that comes at once, right? Like just a sense, it never lasts, just a sense. So that, like having somebody break that down for me was amazing. I didn't come in believing in God, but I also didn't come in talking to people who were soft peddling God. You know, they, people said to me, well, do you believe that there's something bigger than yourself? Yes, okay, done. Like I didn't need some big, big conception. Because the best part about step one is by finally surrendering, admitting I have no power, then I'm also admitting that there is a power. That's it. There's no struggle. No power. There is a power. I don't have to imagine God. God does not need my help defining him, right? And, um, you know, another thing is that there's no spiritual part of this program. You know, we live by spiritual principles. Everything I do today, God willing, is a spiritual Sure, it is a spiritual surrender to God, writing down my food, weighing and measuring my food, and eating my food, all of that to like taking prayer and, and quiet time because God, I need to, as somebody teaches us, tether myself to God. And God is as close to the breath, which means everything I do is about God. Everything I do is about these 12 steps, these spiritual principles. <clears throat> and I have, what, what I was taught is I have this inside problem, this big Whole. It is not in the parking lot doing push-ups. It is inside of me. Over any period of, of time, this internal problem is getting worse, and it speaks in my voice. And I relate to that. I relate to the people that shared that with me. And the best thing about this program is internal problem, internal solution. That is unbelievable. I spent my life looking for people and places and things to stuff inside me and to make me feel like I'm okay. So the message that I share today has to do with my spirituality. It does. But when the time and place comes, when I was desperate, dying, and doomed, and I said to the sponsor, help me, tell me what to do, I didn't say, but don't talk about God. I said, help me, tell me what to do. And I laid aside my prejudice because I was, I'll just close with this, because I was in so much pain. And that is the miracle. Pain is the best place to be because from there, God can continue to work. And I'm just, God willing, going to keep showing up one day at a time with all of you. With that, I pass. Thanks, Katie G. Marsha, it's your turn. Would you please give us the first initial of your last name? 
Yeah, Hi, my Marcia, name is oh. Marcia M. Like in Mary. Marcia M. Hear me? Uh-huh. Yes, Marcia M. Thank you. Go ahead, please. Okay, thank you for your service. If you're not Marcia M., would you please mute your phone with a star one? Thank you. This paragraph um, really speaks to me, especially the line that says, even though your protege may not have entirely admitted his condition, he's been very curious to know how you got well. Let him ask you that question. I'm just starting to sponsor now, and I remember I have a friend who has been in OA for years and years. She and I were former work colleagues, and she always I always asked her, how she lost her 110 pounds, what she did, what kinds of things is she doing to to keep the weight off. I was always curious, and she freely told me about herself. She told me about her experience. She told me exactly what happened to her, exactly like the big book says. But I never took it any farther. And now, several months ago, I called her up. And I did. And I remembered that this program is a program of attraction rather than promotion. And that's exactly what she did. She attracted me to want to know what she did so that I could have that same thing. So I'm trying to remember that as I am sponsoring people not to go out and promote myself and say, you have to hear about this program you need to do this, you need to do that. I've got to remember it's not you need to do that, it's I need to show exactly what is available to them to help them have what I have and to have the peace that I now have. So this just really, really spoke to me and kind of turned things around. I was in sales for a long time, and I was always selling things, and I was trying to attract people to the product, but now I'm trying to help them. And this has just been so helpful. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Marcia M. Leia M., it's your turn, followed by Barbara E. Good morning, Leia. Good morning. Thanks for your service. Continue to speak of alcoholism as an illness, a fatal malady. Talk about the conditions of body and mind which accompany it. Keep his attention focused mainly on your personal experience. You know, this is where the identification process is so, uh, you know, profound because, um, you know, this is our power. My, My text says, you know, we have recovered and been given the power to help others. And it is a technique. It's a a specific uh, skill set that the big book teaches in this chapter. I look at it like, you know, putting some bait on the end of a fishing line and casting it out and slowly reeling uh, the sponsee in. Um, and, And in sharing my experience, you know, and in sharing about compulsive overeating as an illness, a fatal malady, I'm aiming to produce a crisis by relating the seriousness of my own experience and kind of slowly, you know, turning the screws, turning the screws tighter and tighter and tighter and coming from one compulsive overeater to another compulsive overeater, you know, perhaps through, uh, you know, that, that, uh, that combination 
cracking the tough ego of the compulsive overeater deep down. And this was a hard lesson that was learned by Bill, you know, in his early efforts at 12-step work, because at the end of six months of teaching and preaching uh, to scores of alcoholics, nobody sobered up because he would start with, you know, the God, uh, you know, the teachings of, of absolute, uh, you know, purity and love, et cetera. And it was Dr. Silkworth who said, you know what, you've got the cart before the horse. First focus alcoholic's attention on the double-edged sword held above him, the obsession that condemns him to drink and the allergy that ensures his self-destruction. And that's exactly, uh, you know, what these instructions remind me about. Don't scare off the prospects, you know, by teaching God and spiritual awakening first. First, talk about your personal experience. First, talk about the conditions of body and mind which accompany it. And that's what I do. You know, that I couldn't stop once I started, that I couldn't stop from starting again. And that happened to me thousands and thousands of times. I had stopped thousands of times, but I could never stay stopped. And so with that information, with that experience, we who are recovered, in whom the problem has been solved, carry a message of depth and weight because we're properly armed with facts about ourselves, not about other people, about myself. And with that, we can win the entire confidence of another compulsive overeater. And with that, I pass. Thanks so much. Thank you, Leah M. Barbara E., followed by Du L. Good morning, everyone. It's Barbara E. in New Jersey. I hope I'm being heard that I am not muted. Oh, good. Thank you so much. Um, Please time me. I don't have my timer with me. Uh, When I'm at a face-to-face meeting, there's nothing more compelling than pulling out my photos and showing the prospective uh, member how big I was. I was a size 24. I had 12 sizes in my closet. And I fit the profile of a compulsive overeater. I had to convince them of the fatal illness of body and soul, the hopelessness of the disease. But there is a solution. And I explained the solution to them. And I, too, do not go into the spiritual aspect of it because these people have come in for one reason only, to identify, are they compulsive overeaters or maybe not? So I say that I eat when I'm not hungry. I go on binges for no reason at all. I feel guilt and shame and embarrassment about it. And when my emotions are intense, whether good, bad, or nothing at all, I find myself reaching for food. And it's not a stalk of celery that I reach for. And do I restrict as an ability to control my weight? Sometimes. Do I fantasize about how much better my life would be if I were a different size or weight? Absolutely. I'd be tall, slender, blonde, blue-eyed. That's not me. It's not going to happen. I am Barbara, for better or worse, and I've earned every single nook and cranny on my body from gaining and losing so many times before. I didn't come into the program until I was 52 years old. I was desperate, without hope. 
I have a mosquito bite. I have several on my skin right now. I just sprayed myself with anti-itch spray. It works. Great. But inevitably, I'm going to go back and scratch that itch again. And it's the same thing with the food. I always, my mind always would take me back to the food, even though I knew that it would lead to insanity and binges that lasted sometimes for as long as a decade. So if the person sincerely wishes to begin, then I'm ready. I'm excited about it. But sometimes sponsees or potential sponsees or members think they're still strong enough to beat the game. That's their affair. When they're desperate enough and they really want to stop overeating and accept that they need help, then we'll be there and ready to, to jump in and support them and work Time. with them. Work. Thank you. I pass. Have a wonderful day. Thank you, Barbara E. Do L, it is your turn. Good morning. Uh, this is Do L, Recover Compulsive Overeater. Um, just, you know, I was thinking about that first line about the doctors and um, what they have to go through with the compulsive overeater. And, you know, what's the difference between doctors, nutritionists, and a compulsive overeater? Well, the answer is doctors will lead you to your hopelessness. Nutritionists will lead you to a food plan, but the compulsive overeater will offer you a solution. And that's the difference. <clears throat> many doctors, many nutritionists, they may specialize in the food. Uh, they may know about nutrition. They may know about health. However, if they're not a compulsive overeater, if they do not have a message of death and weight uh, like we do, uh, according to the big book, uh, the only thing they're going to offer you is a food plan. You know, they're going to address the food. Now, if this program was just about the food, it'd be one-fold disease. Uh, we just go to a nutritionist. We go to a doctor to give us a food plan. We follow the food plan, and everything would be fine. But the difference between us and those people is, that we have a twofold disease. You know, we have an allergy of the body and we have a, a obsession of the mind. And unless those two things are addressed simultaneously, um, you're not going to be able to recover. You know, and, and so, you know, what does the recover person offer? They offer a solution. Why? Because they've gone through the process. They've um, connected to a higher power. They've connected to the steps. And the steps are designed to take you step by step in finding out what is that problem and how to uh, get the solution. The solution is higher power. The solution is connecting to something greater than yourself uh, and, and having faith that something will change in you, not because of your own ability, not because you can do it, but because something else is going to transform you. And you know, and, and that's, that's a big chunk of truth to take in, you know, um, and, and the, how do we know that it works? Well, we see it in others. We see it in those that have trudged before us. We've seen the insane thinking, the insane way of living that these ones have had, and now they're a changed person. Now they have something to offer. 
And so I'm grateful that uh, we're here in this program. I'm grateful that my confidence is not in a doctor, it's not in a nutritionist, but it's in this program and in the steps. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Duell. Okay, we have time for two, maybe three shares. So who would like to share? Star one. Denise C. Martha M. C. Kelly S. Denise C. And Denise, your last initial. C as in boy. C as in cat. Denise C. Okay, Pete B, Kelly S, Denise C, and we have time for two. We'll try to get you in, Denise C. Pete B, please, go ahead. Thank you, moderator. Can you hear me okay? I can, yes, clearly. Good morning, everybody. Pete B, compulsive overeater, recovered today by God's grace and mercy, and I'm in Pennsylvania. And I just want to, you know, doctors are loath to tell the alcoholic, uh, where was it? Where was doctors are loath to tell the alcoholic the, the fatal nature of the condition? You know, like like I have to remember what I'm doing here in in the context of this chapter. Is I'm not selling somebody on the solution. I'm not selling them on the wonderful life that we live and how fantastic it is that we get to help others. We get to attend this meeting and go online. I'm not selling that. What I'm doing is I'm convincing the prospect of the fatal nature of this condition, right? Doctors don't tell the alcoholic the whole story because doctors don't understand the whole story, right? In the doctor's opinion, it tells us there's no treatment for this condition. That's why doctor, you go to the doctor, tell him you're having a problem with food, you're probably going to get an x-ray and an appointment with another doctor. Right, like the the, the 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 problem is, is that the condition we have, there's no treatment for. Right, there's no the, the doctor's not going to tell you because they don't understand. They're going to send you to somebody else, and they're going to go to somebody else. We have to be emphatic about the hopeless nature of this condition. You know, we're not doing anybody any favors by watering down the fatal nature of this of this disease, and we're not doing anybody any service by watering down the spiritual solution to this condition, right? Like, you know, the person is either willing or they're not. If they're not willing and they have this condition, they're doomed to an alcoholic death or a lifetime of alcoholic torture, right? So, you know, we're, it's, it's, not any, it's not a service to this new person to say, well, just, you know, a little bit at a time, just you're either willing or you're not. And if you're not, there's another prospect. There's no shortage of potential compulsive overeaters out there, right? It's, my, it's not my job to, 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 you know, get you to see that. It's my job to present the condition as we understand the condition and present the solution as we understand the solution, not the treatment. There's no treatment. There's no human power. There's no effective mental defense. This is not an education, right? There is one that has all power. That one is God. May you find him now. Now, all you have to do is be willing to look. With that, I'll pass. Thank you, Pete B. Kelly S., it is your turn. Good morning, Marzi. Thank you for your service. This is Kelly S., recovered in Oklahoma. Um, 
So, of course, this is all tying into what I've been working on lately, and I was doing some writing yesterday out of Agnostics, and it said, the question was from the book, do I believe, you know, God is either everything or nothing, and why? Well, what I wrote was, why? Why did I finally get to that point? Because I was desperate, you know. I got to that jumping off place that the big book talks about. I finally got to, you know, I had no reservations, no lurking reservations. I had conceded to my innermost self. You know, I've been around for 30-something years, as you guys know, and have just three and a half years of recovered absence. And people call me all the time, and they're like, what was different? What was different? Well, you know what I finally realized? I got desperate. I finally conceded to my innermost self. And that is what it took for me to finally start listening to this book and you guys, you know. And that's what I've realized a newcomer has to get. And that is what I I push and push to the people I'm working with because I realize as long as I don't have that total powerlessness, I'm not going to look for this power. I'm going to still think I have other solutions. You know, I finally had to get to that place, and I loved Kim's analogy because I'm a medical provider, and that's what I do too is I share the horrors of different diseases, whatever they are, because then people are like, okay, whatever, I'll do whatever. You know, and as we hear people say, it's not for people who need it or want it. I can tell you there are a lot of people in the medical um, out there in the world who need a lot. And it's only those people who are desperate, you know, that finally said, I'll do whatever you tell me I have to do. And that's what I finally did. You know, I was finally willing at that point. And that's what I have to remember about the newcomer. You know, I can't make that person uh, willing. I can't give them desperation. All I can tell them is my experience. I know I just thought was working with a newcomer recently, and then that's what was happening. I could tell that she was like thinking I was just like, really? I'm like, no, this is fatal. This thing was killing me. And, you know, I was dying. That's what brought me here. You know, yes, I had a weight issue, but I was hopeless. I, I was full of fear. I couldn't live like this anymore. And I was willing to pick up these tools and work these steps like my hair was on fire, like I said, until that newcomer or that constant, constant relapse like I was for 30 something years gets to that point, gets to that jumping off place and feels this fatal malady. I wasn't willing to do this work. And today I'm so grateful I finally, yeah, it took me 30 years, that sucks. But guess what, guys? It is amazing. And I'm a cliche, but I do have a life beyond my wildest dreams. And it's work, and it's worth the work. But it's a way better work than any of that disease crap I was doing because that was a lot more work, a lot more work than anything I do today. And with that, I pass. Thank you so much. Thank you, Kelly S. Denise, you've got about a minute left. Hi, this is Denise from Georgia, Compulsive Overeater. I went to a meeting uh, yesterday, and there was a newcomer there. And she really, I could relate to her, and she touched my heart because she found OA like I did. She Googled it. She Googled that she was an overeater and uh, popped Overeaters Anonymous, and that's how I found the fellowship. Uh, It says to always speak of overeating as an illness. Well, you could see the look on her face when she heard the word illness. She never thought of it that way, and neither did I, that overeating is an illness. It's a sickness. It's a disease. And it's something that you, we will never, I will never be cured of, that I will always be an overeater. But I do have the solution. And I was able to share that with the newcomer today. I talked about the condition of the body, my body and my mind. I talked about my illnesses that I um, that occurred because of my compulsive overeating. And I was able to share that with her. And I could see 
tears are rolling down her face as she could agree with what I was saying. And I just pray for those that are in and outside of the room that are still suffering and that to remind them that the main solution is a higher power. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you, Denise. And thank you to everyone who shared. Denise is our last share this morning. Today's share ID, 11,766, 11766. So thank you again to everyone who shared this morning. Please join us for a second unrecorded hour of study immediately following closing. And we will now close with the reading from the big book on page 164. And Lisa B., would you read that for us today? Yes, good morning. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order. But obviously you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is a great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you until then.